Well, it's uh, God said to Noah to build up an arky arky. It's like raining like crazy outside. It, do you know that ark project that we got going on in room four? I haven't seen it yet. I saw some rudimentary plans. Well, one of the guys who volunteered, his name is actually Noah. Noah. Dude, that's fitting. It better be legit. That's all I'm going to say. Two by two. I got to, so I had to go to the Bible college to teach today. And uh, I had to drive on the freeway in the insane downpour. And then when I got to the Bible college, there's like a moat around it because the road was completely flooded. When I finally got in, I was getting out of my car. I saw this rabbit. He's like running from the flood. He looked like he was scared. I think he was looking for the ark. He was headed for the ark, looking for that trap door. He was looking for his number two because, you know, it's supposed to be two by two. And uh, he was trying to find an ark. He looked very not happy. I, um, yeah, I, we were watching this Hallmark movie the other day. And you, you like those things. Well, my, I, I have a wife. She wants to, well, I, they're not grieving. It mm-hmm. was like a Hallmark movie. I don't know if it was a Hallmark movie, but it was Hallmark-esque. Yeah. And um, there was, it was actually good to watch because it was this gal and uh, she's meeting this guy. That's and, good. And yeah, that's good. There was a step in the right direction. And he's like a pastor hmm. at this tiny little church. Did they church. get anything right? And, uh, well, what was funny was... Is, you got to love the portrayal of ministers in movies. You know, sometimes they're horrible like that Mr. Collins guy. Oh, I was in, just thinking yeah. Mr. Collins. Oh, he was... Now, does your wife have a Pride and Prejudice thing as well? My wife, she... That's like her favorite movie on the planet. Oh, she's got all this. Is it Jane Austen? I don't know. All I know is my wife will say, well, like... Right now, we got this big pile of laundry that needs to be folded. And my wife will say, don't you want to watch Pride and Prejudice with me and fold laundry? And I was like, those are the, the, the two things that I absolutely want to hear. It's a trap. Say. It's a trap. I totally want to hear her say that. By the way, it's, it's Valentine's Day. So in that respect, I would have to say, yes, dear. Absolutely. I, well, yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't even know what to say to that. That's, it's a trap. It was a trap. It is Valentine's Day. Are you doing something amazing? Uh, no. See, you know, at the very least, both my wife and I have this agreement. Going out on Valentine's Day is a trap. No, it's horrible. You don't go out on Valentine's Day. No, it's for amateur Unless you're hour. dating, yeah. Rookies, amateur Like hour. dating, not married dating. I still date my wife, but... Yeah. Dating, not married dating, you kind of, like, you have to go out on Valentine's Day. Once you're married, yeah, no. We, it's funny, there was this single gal at our church, worked on our staff, and everybody loved her. She was great. And there was this guy, he was kind of... When you say our church, do you remember this my one old church, the old one? My old okay, church, my old church, my old church. And everybody determine. loved her, and she was great. And there was this guy who had been dating her for just a little while. And, you know, so it went on and on. And, and he did take her out for Valentine's Day. Yeah. And then, so a year had passed, and they're still dating. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, that's a long time at 30. It's I don't believe in predestination, but I do believe in predesperation. I've seen it in the youth, you know, or excuse me, the college group or the mm-hmm. young mar- unmarried group. They get they get things get a little desperate sometimes. And so I remember we were sitting there talking and we were joking around like if that guy doesn't marry her, like does not get engaged by Valentine's Day, we're, we're going to break his legs. I don't think that's wrong. No. And so my youngest son overheard us. Mm. How old was he at the time? He was like four. Oh. 
And so, um, and he knew her too and thought she was great. He told her. No. Mm. So Valentine's Day went and passed and he didn't pop the question. Mm -mm -mm. And she knew that we were joking around about breaking the guy's legs. Yeah. But she couldn't say anything to the guy. Of course. She should have. So, yeah. So my son. This was Ethan or Wyatt? Ethan. Of course it was. Ethan was in the pew, turned around backwards, looking at him and sticking his tongue at him and giving him the evil stare. Like the stare down. Mm-hmm. And he'd say, man, that pastor's kid's a real brat. And she couldn't say, he wants to break your legs. That's right. So He's lucky for, for that dude, like three weeks later, he popped the question. Oh, wow. That's good. But I mean, who, okay, I, I got. But, but this who, is not, who, who misses Valentine's Day? This is not that? a yeah. part of the questions that we've yeah. got for this last weekend. But this is uh, a question that comes to mind because it's Valentine's Day. And I was on Twitter, always dangerous, on Twitter earlier today. And there's. A whole bunch of different uh, Christian, you know, social media people who are like... Is there such a thing? I don't know. They're, they're like apologizing to the single people and don't feel bad because you're single. So I, I got a little question here because I, you know, God calls some people to be single. But I think there's a lot of single people out there that want to be married and that are in the church. And sometimes it seems like... They, uh, they're unwilling to like take a risk and go out on a date and figure out if maybe they might marry somebody. It looks a little weird to me. Well, you know, that same five-year-old son came uh-huh. to me one time because he had observed some of the single people at the church. And uh-huh. He says to me, very philosophical for a five-year-old, he's like, Dad, I think there's different categories of single. Mm. I'm like, really? And he goes, single, like just haven't found the right person yet. Mm-hmm. Waiting on God's to you know to open up those those floodgates for yeah. that one person. He goes single for a reason, mm. and single, you probably are not meant to reproduce. Mm. How yeah. old were you when you got married? Twenty three. I was twenty six. So you I waited, really waited. I waited a little longer than some of my uh, some people I grew up with in the church. Like some people got married eighteen, nineteen. Boom, they're married. Well, I just, By the I time took, they were 26, they had like three kids. Wow. Well, see, my parents were like, it was legit. I mean, my parents have been married 60-some years, so I'm looking, I'm thinking, this this marriage thing is serious. Like, it I don't want to mess be. this up. You and go so, into it, this is for life. I mean, our vows, they say, till death do us part. I, I thought, you know, I feel like when you're saying that, you, you should You got to hold it. strong to those vows. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Happy so. Valentine's Day. There's no inconvenience clause there. Mm-mm. 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 Irreconcilable differences. What in that? Come on. Now. There's no such thing. No. No. Nope. Well, you know, anyway, say, so my movie. Mm. Oh, yeah. I totally so, diverted yeah, you. Yeah, it's okay. I mean, I, my wife does have the movies. Mm-hmm. She's got all the Jane Austen classics. Let's see. Sense, Sense and Sensibility. Sensibility. Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. What's the other one? I don't know. North and South. I don't think that's Jane Austen. I've Maybe never it seen is. that one. Dumb and Dumber. I mean, they're all the all the classics. That's definitely a Jane Austen film. Oh, absolutely. It's a romance. Samsonite. I was way off. Oh, man. Way, way off. I, my favorite line from Dumb and Dumber. Uh-oh. He says, a one in a million chance. So there is a chance. So there is a chance. There I is mean, a chance. I mean, that faith. Yeah. Hope springs eternal. There so anyway, this gal walks into it. She'd never been in a church before. Mm-hmm. Ever. And she is interested in the minister? Well, I think she's starting to be interested in what the minister believes. So it's mm. all a process. It's and he was of, a single minister. Yeah, his wife. Like Mr. Collins. Well, this is crazy. His wife had died. Ooh, that's not good. And she is married to the wife's brother. 
and they just got divorced because he was a scumbag. But anyway, mm. Mm. she'd never been to church before. And so she's in church and he's talking about trials. Wait a minute. So this is the sister-in-law then? Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. They weren't twins, were they? And they weren't in Arkansas. This was, this was, this was a legit, this looked legit. It was totally a Hallmark movie. Yeah, totally Hallmark. So. Was there snow involved? No, but there was beautiful homes. Ah, okay. The Hallmark homes. You could smell the cookies baking over the TV set. It was perfect. I keep, I keep pulling you off your story. It's okay. She, maybe it's a I just story. need more information. I'm a more info kind of guy. Okay, so I was giving you the background right, on this. Great. So she goes into church for the very first time, mm-hmm. and she thinks you can stand up and ask questions. Well, we kind of do that. I. That's what. Kind of. That's what made me think of this. And Text guess your what? Questions. At the end of the movie, this tiny little church that was dying. Uh huh. They had like a question and answer period and like everybody was showing up because they had legit questions because I think it's easy for us to try to answer questions that so, people aren't even asking. We didn't base this off the movie, but no, I think people have a lot of questions. They did send her to the Sunday school for some some base, you know, learning. Yeah. And so when she heard the Noah story, she's like, hey, because we were talking about Noah. Uh huh. So two by two, the animals get on the ark, right? Seven of every clean animal. By mm-hmm. the way. People forget that. Mm hmm. And they didn't eat one another. And she's like, man, incredible. That's got to be God. But then the second one, she's like, an entire genocide, and this is a children's story? Yeah. You know what? There are some pretty pretty sketchy Bible stories we tell in children's ministry. But those kids, they got to know this stuff. They do, but we don't exactly put the stoning of Stephen there on the, you know, on the, on the, the, sure the children's wall. Sure we do, wall. for the fifth graders. Oh, okay, cool. Fifth they love graders. to throw rocks. Fifth graders get that. Hey, did you, so we both did, we both started out in junior high ministry. Did you did you teach judges in junior high ministry? I did judges. That was fun. Junior high boys like the book of judges. Like you got jail whacking a a tent peg through Cicero's head. Junior high boys love that. And like the story of Eglon. They love that. They love that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The fat guy got the the dirt came out. The sword went in and the dirt came out. And he was on the can too, right? I don't think so. No. No. No, I don't think so. He was on the throne because uh, Ehud had a special message. For That's Eglon. right. Wasn't he left-handed or something? He was a left-handed man. There you go. Man. Hmm. hmm. The Bible's Ponder interesting. Ponder this. How about, you know, Ruth. Yeah. You know what? I'm contemplating teaching the book of Ruth this summer. So let's not spoil it. No spoiler alerts. No, I'm just saying like teaching the book of Ruth. It's a sketchy book. To kids. Yeah. But you're telling, like, keep your hands off one another. And, and then, then Ruth's like... Naomi tells Ruth to go go lie at the end of his bed and do whatever he tells... Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure I'm sure there was it was not a pedicure that was Every time place. we record this, I'm convinced we're totally going to get ourselves in trouble That's with something okay. we say. You know what? Jesus got me out of trouble. I'm good. All right. All right. So... We need grace from God and from anybody who might listen to this. We're just voicing what other people are thinking. Maybe no one will ever listen to this. Okay. Best ever. I was, I was probably 16 years old and went to camp, youth camp one of the first youth camps I ever went to and pastor Chuck Smith got up and told the story of Ruth and Boaz. And the way he told it was even more sketchy than what I just said, but it's like, you got 400 high schoolers in this room and I don't know the way he was. I I wish I had it on recording. I just remember it was epic. And Naomi said, uh, turn in your Bibles. uh, Right. You know, snuggle up to him and whatever he (laughs) wants to do, just go for it. (laughs) Oh, oh, all right. Well, uh, yeah. Anyway, so this last yeah. weekend we were in second. Timothy. I miss Chuck. 
Oh yeah. man, he's with Jesus. He's he's loving. Yeah, life. he don't miss us. I'll tell you that. Glorious. No. <laughs> he especially don't miss you. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's not go there. I was more of a favorite. Anyway, glorious. Um, we I've got in, a picture with Chuck and of I. Of course you do. In the red sweater, I got a uh-huh. red sweater picture. Yeah, I'm gonna put on the cover of my album. Anyway, you're gonna have an album. I think so. What's it gonna be called? I don't know. We were just talking about this album and bands the other day. My, I think my band is either gonna be Riotous Living. That'd be a good one. Like Out of the Prodigal Son mm-hmm. or Vile Raymond. Vile Raymond. That, doesn't that sound like a really poorly dressed metal band? Vile Raymond. Totally. So, okay. So we got questions. We do. We talked about vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor this last Sunday. Not boats, people. These are not boats. No, these are metaphors for people in the great house of the great master. And the great house of the great master is God's church. So within God's church, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. So we got a question. Do you believe that all non-believers in the church are here with dishonorable intentions? Hmm. So I was talking about um, vessels of dishonor having dishonorable life and dishonorable intentions. And I would have to say no on this, you know, the basics of this. Do you believe that all non-believers in the church have dishonorable intentions? No, but there are some. Well, yeah, the ones that have been around and are posing as Christians for sure. But yeah. I, first thing that comes to mind to me is the person that's visiting, they're seeking, they're wanting to know. Those aren't, those, those aren't bad intentions or dishonorable no. intentions. No. They don't know enough. That's why I know this isn't about the world. They don't know enough to know what good uh, what a what an honorable vessel or dishonorable vessel is they're seeking in fact we need i i want my dishwasher to be full of dishonorable vessels to get cleaned up yeah absolutely i want i want a lot of unbelievers here a dishwasher that is full of dirty dishes is a household that's filled with happy people that's true most of the time yeah absolutely because it's getting done right yeah in my experience a lot of the people that come to church um they're somewhere down the line of like the seeking process. So God's already been working on them to get them to come to church in the first place. So some of those dishonorable intentions are gone. Dishonorable lifestyles are kind of being worked on. But there are people, I mean, Jesus talks about wolves in sheep's clothing, false teachers. You'll know them by their fruits. Paul talks about that. Peter talks about that. Jude talks about that. I think John might even talk about it in one of his letters. So pretty much all the writers of the New Testament, including Jesus, say there will be wolves and false teachers and false prophets that come and get into the church. I mean, shocker, but I know some, I know over the years have run into some wolves or dishonorable vessels that know their Bibles really well as far right. as what they say, but they, you, they don't do them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just looking at the uh, passage in James 2 yesterday morning, uh, the whole thing of... Uh, work out, you know, though the whole thing of uh, faith and works and right. the passage there says the demons believe and tremble. So, I mean, demonic powers, they believe there is one God. But, I, uh, I think the devil's got a pretty good idea of uh, he knows how the great Bible God is. Well. Yeah, he knows. I mean, in well. that whole passage where he's tempting Jesus, he knew the Bible pretty well. Yeah, he was throwing it out there. Mm-hmm. But Jesus knew it well, too. Sword drills. He's all over sword drills. So that could, you know what? I bet the devil could win the Awana Olympics. <clears throat> Absolutely. He knows all the scriptures. So don't you want to? Number two, uh, do all vessels of honor start out as vessels of dishonor? In the yes. Yes. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because, I mean, a vessel of honor 
there's a conversion that takes place when a person becomes, you know, the whole passage talked about um, desiring to become a vessel of honor. If anyone cleanses himself, this second Timothy two twenty one. if anyone cleanses himself from dishonor, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful to the master prepared for every good work. So, so yeah, people don't, people come into the church uh, broken and their lives are a mess because of sin. We're all born in sin. And then conversion in Christ, he transforms us. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old things have passed away. That's a good thing. It's good news. That's why I'm here. Some of us have more old things than others. Yeah, yeah. And those things, they, they need to pass away. You ever hear Christians sit around and talk about the good old bad days? You know, you know I haven't too much. Really? I, at times I've been like, really? It's like, let's not talk about that. It's gone. It's forgiven. It's over and done with. Yeah, so... Hmm. The one-uppers. Is it Paul or well, one of the New Testament writers talks about the, the things you used to do that now you're ashamed of? I'm sure that we all have a few of those things. I'll tell you what. Get up in a pulpit sometime and look out and have an old girlfriend show up. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, you had that happen. Yeah. Not it, too long ago. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Yeah. She was really blessed by the restoration God done in my life and... How, uh, yeah, we, we had a, we had a tearful moment. Nice. We're both blessed. We're both redeemed. It's groovy. That's good. And see, that's the whole point. Like God takes our lives that are a mess and he transforms them in every way. And it is amazing to see someone, um, you know, come into the church and their lives is, lives are a mess. And then God, just by the, the simple working of his spirit and the word of God completely remakes them. Yeah. That's one of the most rewarding things of pastoral ministry, I think, is watching God transform people's lives. The two things I get the most excited about is watching people get saved, you know, saved and, and baptized, following up with being baptized. And then the next one is watching them find their gifts in the kingdom yeah, and going out and following those gifts and just profiting, not just an honorable vessel, but an honorable vessel that's full of something. And they just, God uses these broken vessels to minister to other people. And I'm super excited about watching those people doing something in Jesus name. And then just the maturity, the joy and the excitement that comes with serving God. And people don't, people there don't get that better than yeah. serving the Lord. People that people don't get that. So, okay. The next question here, it says you mentioned that the culture Timothy lived in was an honor and shame culture, which placed high value on older adults and our current culture values youth. What are the consequences of valuing youth? What our culture, what could our culture do better if we valued older people more or what our culture, well, no, would our culture do better if it valued older people more? So my first thought on this, you can give me your thoughts on this is that as a Christian, whether we come from a honor shame culture or some people refer to our culture as a guilt culture, Every culture's got its problems because culture is a representation of a fallen world. But in a fallen world, um, we need to recognize that God, he places dignity and value upon all people at whatever age, even the unborn. Yeah, well, we were talking earlier. It's, it's interesting that, you know, we have a, we value youth and, mm. you know. Our culture. Yeah our, yeah, our 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 culture values youthfulness and youthful looks and. Uh, all, all that this, goes away. All that, yeah, that does fade. By the way, I think it says somewhere, yeah. Uh, and but then we we're getting to value. You know less what's really good? About the same time that the the looks are fading, your eyesight fades too. So it's all good. 
Oh, I know. You know what? The older I get, the hotter I get. That's just, you mm. know, that's what my wife says. But hmm. her eyes are fading. Poor thing. She's a good woman. She is a good woman. So, um, but isn't it, uh, just to talk about the logic of man, yet we value the unborn less. Yeah. It's become just... Well, but see, and that's uh, that's the frightening thing in our culture. Um, less and less of a value for the unborn. And it does appear to be, in some respect, less and less of a value for those who are older. Yeah. I, here's what we get. Let me just say this, because there's problems with both. Yep. Taking one to it. And um, older people should, in theory, have wisdom. Mm-hmm. Um, we can gain from their experience. There's value there. And I think as a younger person... Uh, you know, well, I'm a senior citizen now, but 55. But um, we learn a lot by taking care of other people. Yeah, you've been taking care of your parents. Yeah, helping however I can. And my brothers have been jumping in there. But, um, you know, go go give one of your parents a shower sometime. Oh, that's boy. A, that's, a, that's a, God spoke to me about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, what he clearly spoke to me is that's an honor. Yeah. That's a, that's a big deal that he trusts me to do that. You've and been to Israel. I have. Did uh, you ever go to any of the kibbutz places? Yes, I did. Because, you know, I remember we went to one of these. This is a long time ago. The first time I ever went to Israel, we went to a kibbutz. And it's like communism on a small scale. Right. And uh, they had like this big business. I mean, these people were producing um, like like Dead Sea mineral you know, facials and lotions. Then, so it was like a big business, but they, they all ran it together. But man, they took care of their older people really, really well. Well, I tell you, in this country, we're going to have a, we're going to have a really big problem because, uh, families are disjointed. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have a big slug of old people. People Mm -hmm. are going to need help. They can't take care of themselves. And we don't have a lot of things in place. We're seeing right now, even at our church, widows who have no husbands, have no savings, have no Mm -hmm. kids. They have nothing, and um, if they don't get help with their bills, they're not going to have electricity or bread or anything. So, it's a it's it's we're we're going to reap what we sow as a culture here pretty soon. We're going to have to address this. Well, and that's why the scriptures. I mean, it's part of the Ten Commandments: honor your father and mother. And there's a blessing. Yeah, that it may go well with you. You have long life yeah. on the earth. So I'm I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I have parents and uh, I have the opportunity to be part of. So I mean, there's that. good things. There's good things to be valued in youth. Um, you know, energy, uh, vitality, time. You mentioned earlier, we were chatting about this boy. That's for sure. Before you have kids and before you're married, you got all kinds of time. I appreciate the different perspective that Mm -hmm. youthful people have, uh, especially when it's constructive. There's just different ways to attack a problem. Sometimes they've they've seen a much different world than I have. It's true. So I don't, I don't despise youth. I'm I'm willing to, especially it's like anybody gives advice. If you do it humbly and respectfully, and it's a two-way street. I love it. I love having young people on staff. I'm, I am excited about that. So, I once was young, and now I'm old. I'm getting older. I'll be 40 this year. Man, ancient of days. You're uh, a generation old. You're gone. Yep. Don't trust anybody ever 40. Isn't that what they said in the 60s? Or I was think it 30? I, I think it was 40. Is it 40? Yeah. They don't say that now because they're all older than you. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I'm, I'm almost 40, and I don't trust myself. Well, you know, this is a trustworthy saying. Worthy of all acceptance. Number four, how do we conduct ourselves as vessels of honor in our day-to-day life? 
Well, I mean, Paul gave a series of things here in this passage that are, you know, conduct things about fleeing youthful lusts and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Avoid foolish and ignorant disputes. I don't know. I, I generally find that it's important to start with the things that are clearly revealed in the Bible and do those things and the other stuff will fall into place. Yeah, I'm a big fan of just doing the right thing every day. <clears throat> yeah. Just just get involved in the things that God's doing, all those positive, great things that he tells us to do that are good for us, by the way. I mean, if we said that the best way for you to conduct yourself as a vessel of honor was to pursue righteousness, you'd, you'd have to spend some time looking at the scriptures and thinking like, well, what exactly is righteousness? Well, pursuing righteousness isn't sitting there waiting for it to drop into your lap. I mean, obviously God has made us righteous by his grace. So we are, he has imputed his righteousness to us. So before God, we are right, but he's sanctifying us. So he wants us to become more right in our conduct. Yeah. Serving others. Serving others is a good value. It's huge. Yeah. It's huge. And, you know, even you'll see psychologists will recommend that and therapists will recommend that to people in the secular world. Right. Stop looking at your own belly button, go out and do for something for somebody else. And guess what? Because it's God built that into us. And so to go take care of others, put others before yourself. It brings things into perspective, that's for sure. Yes, it does. I, I think it's a great perspective for our prayer team that's been growing and the, the um, reading the prayers of the saints and realizing as a person that I'm not the only one that's going through this and seeing the tragedy and the hurt and the things in other people's lives causes us to pray for our brothers and sisters. And we realize we're not the only one that's going through it. That's very, very healthy for us and then in that we see opportunities like we can jump in and go paint that wall you know along these lines i was i was reading this article in the news yesterday and it was um i gotta admit like the tone of the article was a little discouraging because they the tone was kind of like triumphantly pointing poking fun at panera you know panera the bread people chick food yeah they got some okay stuff you remember when you first came and talked to me about cross connection church we met at panera I did, okay. but, you know. You you should have taken me to somewhere that had steak. It would have been a lot better. Anyway, so Panera. Um, I didn't want the relationship to get old. you got to start out, you know, low. Okay, we've got to start. And then, yes, yeah. Right, yeah. And then Soup and salad is a low place to start. Oh, gosh. That's, I'm sorry. It's chicken. They make good bread. They have anyway, no so steak so back there. to my story. So I'm reading this article, and um, the, the, the article was kind of triumphantly laughing at the fact that I guess Panera tried this thing a few years ago where they were going to, do this experiment with a store where it was kind of like donate what you can for food. And, and if you can't afford it, we'll give you food, which I got to admit is an awfully nice thing. It's respectable, respectable. Um, and so uh, I guess their, their last one that they did went under. And so this article was laughing at this social experiment that didn't was work that out. Was that the Panera cafe? I think they did a Ted talk. on that. Yes, they did. So I watched the Panera uh, cafe Ted talk, which is the CEO. And you know, it was pretty interesting because I, I get it that politically speaking, someone's trying to make a jab that this doesn't work in the real world. But you got to admit that the guy who started this, the CEO of, of Panera, he did it for good intentions. Now, and what I appreciated about it, going kind of along with what you were talking about a moment ago, this guy, he's a multimillionaire. Um, but he was taking his kids who I want to say at the time they were like 11 and six. And he would take them to go serve with him and his wife at a food bank on the weekends. So, I mean, this is a guy who doesn't have to do this sort of stuff. And he's going out and he's serving at this food bank. And he's looking at this food service thing at this food bank and saying, man, we could do so much better. And so he decided they'd try this experiment. Now, it didn't work out. I get it. It didn't work out. But I thought it was pretty cool that here's this guy who is a multimillionaire, CEO of a 
you know, I, I think they probably a billion dollar a year company. I don't know. And, uh, and yet he's taken his kids to show them like, Hey, life isn't like this for everybody, the way that you get to live. And he wanted them to see that things were, things can be more difficult for people. That's pretty cool. I, I think, um, a really good education for me was growing up. We lived in a very, a place of privilege. My dad worked very hard. Um, you know, they were very conservative with their money and it was very important for them to, for us to live in a, a really nice neighborhood to have opportunities for us. And so that was really good. But one of the greatest things is that my parents, we didn't just hang out with those people. Mm. In fact, we rarely did. We hung out with a lot of regular salt of the earth folk that sometimes didn't know where their next rent check was coming through. And my dad was very blue collar commercial fisherman. And so, um, we would do that. And then, you know, spending some time in Mexico and different places to be able to to understand that not everybody has that. That was on the family yacht in Mexico? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we, you know, we threw sandwiches to people as we drifted <laughs> by and prayed for them. And uh, yeah, no, I, I you know, I've I'm taken, kidding. I've taken kids down there to build homes yeah. and, and things like that. And it was, it's, I will it's say, so when I was in, when I was in the yeah. youth group as a kid here, yeah. we used to go down to Ducati to an orphanage, probably about every six weeks to go down there and serve. And, and I, I look back at that. I think that was really helpful for me to, to see that as a kid growing up in the youth group. Yeah. And then obviously as pastors, we look at, we have situations come into our lives every week where we see people who are really going through things. And, and some of those situations are ones they've created, but other ones are things that have just come their way and to watch the difficulty in that. And, you know, I guess to know what blessing really looks like, sometimes you have to walk through a few things. So. Well, you know, I know you've traveled around the world and I've had the privilege to travel to a number of places, including um, Africa and uh, the Philippines, which if you want to see poverty, there's some places in the Philippines that uh, really are eye-opening when it comes to poverty. So, you know, I think sometimes it, it's so important for people to realize um, the realities of just the brokenness of this world and and seeing those things helps to see that. I, that was kind of off topic on this passage, but okay, so... Uh, number five. Okay. Um, this one we'll have to really think about. How do we resist youthful lusts? Because he said in this passage, flee youthful lusts. I think it's important that we start with that word, resist. That's not what the word is. It says flee. And, um, you know, the interesting thing is, is that that word flee that's here in this passage, I was studying this last week as I was getting ready and it's the exact same word. You know, there's a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Old Testament was written, originally written in Hebrew. So the Greek Old Testament is the Septuagint. The exact same word for flee. Septuagint. Septuagint. Like yeah. Sounds so... When you look at it, Bible it's, it's always abbreviated as the LXX, which is Roman numerals for the 70, because it's believed that the Septuagint was translated by 70 Greek scholars in about the like 3rd century B.C., Anyways, on another topic. So in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, can you imagine where, let's see how good you are on this. I, I bet you can figure it out. Where in the Old Testament is this exact word flee used that illustrates this perfectly? Joseph and Potiphar's there wife. There you go, man. Oh. Three, three times in like three verses, it talks about Joseph. He fled. You want to give some background on that story? Sure, because, you know, it's interesting because... Uh, your voice was messed up, so I thought I might have to be maybe teaching this weekend. Mm-hmm. And uh, God was gracious. And so, well, he always is. But he, he bailed me out in this instance. But, you know, as I was looking into the, the first thing that came to mind was uh, you've got a guy who um, the brothers scorned, uh, was dad's favorite, 
got basically thrown in a hole to die. Then they decided that, you know, we're going to, his brothers are going to sell him off. And so he's going to go to Egypt. And so he's dishonorable at that time. He's rejected. There's nothing to him, right? Mm -hmm. And he's a young man. Yeah. And then he's put in uh, a situation where, you know, he's got skills. He's got gifts. And he was gifted by God. Yeah, gifted by God. And so this dishonorable vessel, if you will, becomes a a man of honor and somebody sought after for his skills because God's given it, gifted him and blessed him. And then he's put in this situation where he's forced to resist. He needs to resist the advances of Potiphar's wife. Yeah. And uh, he does. Yep. And it's like... And she's like throwing herself at him. Yeah. And and, and he's in a culture that doesn't necessarily uh, value that. Nobody's going to know, he thinks. He's young. And so there's all these... And he makes not a youthful decision, but he makes a mature decision following God to not do that. And he still, we need to know this, even when we do the right thing, he still temporarily gets in trouble. Right, he does. And is dishonored. Mm-hmm. Now, For an even longer time, ends up in jail. Right. Now, another guy who went from dishonor to honor was David, right? Yeah. And he didn't he, flee. He didn't do well. So, so Genesis 39 is the story of Joseph with Potiphar's wife. Just gives some context here. It says, but it happened. This is Genesis 39, 11. It happened at about this time when Joseph was in the house of Potiphar to do his work. None of the men were in the house inside. So we have opportunity. Opportunity. That she, Potiphar's wife, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment with her in her hand when he fled outside that she called to the men of the house and spoke to them saying, see, he has brought in this Hebrew to mock us. And he came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and he fled and went outside. So he ran away. He was fleeing youthful lust. Doesn't one of the translations said he made sport of me? Ah, probably that would be King James. Version Old for sure. King Jimmy, man. Yeah. So, and then on the counter side of this, you're talking about David, David with Bathsheba in second Samuel. And, uh, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Wasn't thinking about what he was supposed to be thinking. His men were out fighting battles on his behalf and he wasn't there commanding the army of the Lord. He was in Jerusalem walking around and he, uh, spies something he probably shouldn't have been looking upon. And, uh, next thing you know, he and Bathsheba are getting into some trouble. And then he had to clean it all up himself, which never goes well. No, no. And I'm guessing that's not the only time he was checking all that out. Yeah, maybe not. And uh, and what's what's crazy is as David goes, he's bringing the cheeses to his brothers, and they accuse him of doing something bad, that he's just come to check out the battle. He's trying to get the scoop and the news. This is backing up in the story. This is backing up in the story. Now, at this point, he's already been anointed king over Israel by Samuel, correct? Yes. Yeah. He has. Yep. And so he knows... And can you imagine, how old was he? 13, 14? In his teens, that's for sure. Yeah. So you're you're anointed by the prophet and you're that age. I mean, talk about getting a big head, right? You could have, but he didn't. He was always scorned by his brothers, kind of kicked around as the impression. And he hears them Philistine mocking while yep. he's there. Yep. And he gets all indignant and he slays Goliath. 
I think he drug that head around for a while. He was a teenager, junior. Yeah, yeah, it was totally. a big deal. So carting that thing around. Yeah, I mean, I'd have had it stuffed. Trophy. I'd have had yeah taxidermy. That'd be on my wall right now. But anyway, but you know, he goes and <laughs> and big old, big old, yeah, big old ugly Goliath up there next to it's my deer horns antlers. Yeah, but yeah, and then and then he blows it. So he didn't flee youthful lust. He no. didn't do well. No. So I would say, don't just resist youthful lust, flee them. Don't, don't hang around with things that are going to cause you to stumble and fall. Right. And then I, I was kind of looking, I think it's James 4, 7, if I got my, right? Um, draw near unto the Lord. Yeah. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. But the first step of that is, is it says to draw near unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. And sometimes as believers, we'll catch the resist the devil part, mm-hmm. but you don't have a prayer. Yeah. Of resisting the devil. Without the Lord's help. Without, without, yeah, you got to draw near unto the Lord. All right. Well, the next question is very similar to that last one. Um, how would you counsel someone who is addicted to youthful lusts? What are some practical steps that they could take to become pure? The Bible's got some practical steps that are pretty, pretty drastic. Yeah. You know, if your hand offends thee, your eye offends thee, you know, I, that's drastic. Yeah, Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into the kingdom with one hand than to, you know, be cast into hell. Right, and he's not telling us to cut anything off necessarily, but I do no, think it shows... No, hyperbole, yeah, he's speaking... Yeah, but I think it does show, like, how serious mm-hmm. he is about, like, stop it. Yeah, well, I mean, when we talk about someone who's addicted to youthful lusts, there's all kinds of things that could fall under that category... Uh, but one of the things that clearly, purely, there are people who have an issue with today are things like pornography. And there are situations where it's like, you're going to have to cut off the thing that's, that's drawing you to that in a sense. If it's, if it's your phone, then maybe it's time to get a flip phone. Yeah. Or your computer connection or whatever that is. Yeah. If you got to do that. But I mean, people don't fool around with cancers. That stuff rots your brain. Yeah. Oh, and absolutely. your soul. Absolutely. And like, don't fool around with it. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Yep. So you got to. I've definitely counseled some guys in the past. It's like, well, take the computer out of your room or get rid of the phone or the the phone doesn't, it stays down in the kitchen when you get home. And I don't know. I love Do you remember that movie Fireproof? Yeah. Kirk Cameron takes his computer out to the trash can. There you go, man. And takes that's a bat to serious, it. Serious. You know what? About sin. That's cutting his, that's cutting the hand off right there. There you go. That's getting, you know, I think God will honor that. Yeah, I, I'm sure he will. You know? Be yep. serious about so, yeah. Don't do really stupid stuff. Okay, number seven, last question: What are the consequences of pursuing youthful lusts? Are there negative Ooh. consequences of righteousness and purity? I can't think of any negative consequences of doing what is right before God and walking. Well, that's not true. I can. I can. There's there's societal consequences, but as it relates to a walk with God, there's no negative eternal consequences. Right. Right. And be real honest, when you follow God, your life is usually better because of the things that he set up mm-hmm. to give us discipline in certain areas and and the things that we delight in and we desire cause us to make better choices. Mm-hmm. And so there is a certain blessing in following God just in a in a day-to-day what our lives look like. But there are times mm-hmm. when we're going to follow God, Joseph that we just talked right. about, it, it could have some bad circumstances. Yeah. Temporarily. Peter, James, John, those guys in yeah. the early chapters of Acts, they are walking in righteousness, and so they're getting beat up by the religious leaders. And, I mean, Paul was killed for his Stephen faith. Stephen was stoned. Yep. You know, you could end up on a cross. And, I mean, you know, we're here in the Estados Unidos, a beautiful United States. We don't really tend to suffer as much. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that's, but, you know. That's changing. Yeah, and certainly if you, there are some people that if they don't, 
you know, follow the status quo in their work environment, then it might mean that they don't get a promotion. Or if they are going to stand up for righteousness, then it's going to put them at odds with some of their coworkers. I've had some conversations with some guys in the church that definitely have had that experience in their workplace. Oh, many times, many times. Yep. You know what? It always works out for those guys, though. But what are the consequences of pursuing youthful lusts? Well, they'll destroy you. I mean, as you were saying just a moment ago, like some of these things are like cancer. They will totally rot your heart and your soul. You will be a different person. That is for if sure. If you follow that, it will change. Well, and like Paul says in Romans, that whatever you submit yourself to to obey, you become that thing's slave. It becomes the master of your life. And we have definitely counseled with and prayed with some people over the years that have allowed themselves to become the slave of some life-dominating sin, and it controls everything about them. And, you know, there's some ones that aren't real obvious that I think the Christians gloss over. Um, busyness. Yeah. You can become a slave to busyness. I'm seeing that a lot with people. And that's a challenge for any of us. Yeah. And it's, well, yeah, people in the ministry, because there's good things happening. Busy right? about much serving, Martha. Yeah. Martha, yeah. Martha, Martha. <laughs> a little bit different, but anyways. Yeah, it's kind of thing. But uh, we need to be on guard for that, because... Right. Uh, we can lose perspective really, really quickly. So busyness, and, and I know I've actually done some counseling in marriages of people who are married to a really busy husband or a busy wife and don't really have time to for them or the Lord. Uh, money is certainly a character, uh, excuse me, a carrot that is strung out there that people chase money uh, beyond what is healthy and helps to give us some, you know, a, a lifestyle and take care of our families. Um, beauty. Mm-hmm. Gosh. The gods of this world are many. Yeah. So, I mean, isn't there like a plastic surgery channel? There's a channel for everything. Think so? Pretty much. That's why I don't got cable. It just sucked my my time. I don't have a cable. I don't have have cable. Yep. We sound so righteous. Then we go, no, we're totally, I got Netflix. But we have Netflix. (laughs) Yeah. I don't have cable, but I have Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. Does that come in on a cable? Uh, Well, a wire. Yeah. Yeah, probably. In my house, it's wireless. That's okay. <laughs> well, this weekend, we got some interesting passages of Scripture. Know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Better this, you than me, bro. There's a channel for every one of those things. Is there the haughty channel? The slanderer channel? The slanderer channel? The unforgiving channel? The I love myself channel? Yeah. The boasters and proud channel? Boasters and proud? What would that be? ESPN. That's true. Once they get a touchdown, they're boasters and proud. Man. Unholy? Yeah, those are channels you don't turn on. No, no, don't go to the unholy channel. You'll be sorry. Let's see. From such people turn away. Now, important to know as Mm. we go into next week. He's not talking about the unsaved, is hey, he? Hey, man, don't, don't, don't spoiler alert me. Okay, I'm just saying, this whole thing's about the church. Yeah. get Us getting right. Righteousness is a good thing. We're not saved by our righteousness, but as we walk in righteousness, we enjoy the privileges of God's presence. Yeah. I remember people would say, you know, you're saved, doggone it, act like it. Hmm. Like, be righteous. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jesus said that. Be holy. For I am holy. Your Father in heaven's holy. Yeah. Be ye therefore perfect. Let your righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Let your light so shine before men. Men seeing your give good works would give glory to your Father in heaven. I always use that one at weddings. 
Do you? Well, because people should look at our marriages. Yeah, it should be an example. And we should be an example. And they right. should see people that are beyond just being compatible, but we're ministering to one another. Since we're talking about Valentine's Day, mm-hmm. um, ministering to one another in a way that is more than two people can conjure up. It's something that is a godly love and support for one another. So uh, what what are you doing special for Valentine's Day tonight? Well, first of all, I'm just going to go on record saying Valentine's Day is amateur hour. Yeah. Okay. We we got Valentine's Day all the time. Oh, okay. So my even my wife, and she's not one of those wives because, oh, you don't need to do anything. It's no big deal. And then really in the back of the heart's like, you better do something, big boy. Yeah. Or I'm not going to feel loved. My wife legitimately is like, yeah, let's, let's not go out to eat with a bunch of crazy people. So tonight, I'm not saying we're not celebrating. Yeah. But uh, we're definitely going to get got my, another Hallmark movie. I don't know. No. Two pounds of scallops. Ooh. Pound of butter. Ah. Uh, yeah. See? See, I you want to come to my house for Valentine's Day? It's pretty good, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And we're going to have some chocolate covered strawberries. Boy, oh boy. And uh, yeah. Did you buy your wife anything nice? For Valentine's Day? Yeah. No. We didn't. I did get Andrea a gift. I saw that gift. That was a great gift. We can talk about it now because she won't hear this. She got it. She's very happy. The weighted blanket. How does that work? I heard about this thing, a weighted blanket. It weighs 20 pounds. It's got glass beads inside of it. I thought, okay, Andrea would love this. So I bought this thing for her. It's like when you go to the dentist and they do an x-ray and they set that lead blanket on you. Yeah. It basically feels like that. Wow. Pardon me. I mean, I got a camper last week, so maybe technically, I mean. A weighted blanket, man. I got our camper. I, I tried it out. I put the weighted blanket on, and it, it's like hard to get up out from underneath it. I See, I could never do that. Yeah. It's so hard for my poor wife to get out of bed. Yeah. When she goes to get out of bed, it is like a, every day a catastrophic thing has happened. She's like, oh, no, I have to get out of bed. Okay, I have to admit, though, I took a picture of this just because it did kind of make me laugh. So the, the, the weighted blanket came with um, you know some instructions, care instructions. But on one side, it was not only care instructions. Don't take it in the swimming pool. Yeah, basically. Uh, not only did it have care instructions, but it also had the research of all the conditions that it proves and somehow to fix. And I mean, the, part of this is kind of laughable. Like every every possible thing we could imagine, let's put it on here. So, I mean, if you have a weighted blanket and you've got essential oils, you'll probably live until you're 170. What's the list? You want, to, you want to hear some of these things? Yeah, I, want, I, want, I know I, someone's I, going to get upset at me for, for saying something about these things. Okay, so ADHD, a weighted blanket fixes ADHD. <laughs> Pay attention, you're going to suffocate. Anxiety disorder, just having a lot of weight. Now, some people, I think, having weight on them while they're sleeping would be like produce anxiety. Yeah, I would think I would have a heart attack, yeah. Agitation. If I hate, I hate when I can't get the covers off. I get all tangled up. Yeah. Um, agitation's on here twice. So, uh, apparently, Alzheimer's disease is corrected by a weighted blanket. You remember to take the blanket off? What's the deal? This is my favorite. Dental anxiety. What is dental anxiety? Okay, you put that thing on me, I'm going to feel like I'm in the dentist chair. The weighted dentist vest. That's exactly what I said a minute ago. Oh, man. My favorite, the catch-all for everything, fibromyalgia. Uh, Muscle aches. Pain. Highly subjective. Restless leg syndrome. That's Elvis leg syndrome. Yeah. It kind of, uh-huh, 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 I don't know, they, got, they got all kinds of things on here. They have one called Williams Disorder. I don't know what Williams Syndrome is. We should look it up. Yeah, maybe we will later. 
Huh. I'm going to probably get myself in trouble with this. Someone will call me and tell me that this is proven beyond a shadow of a doubt to fix all of these things. So what are some things that weren't on the list? I don't know. I, it just basically says that having a, weighted blanket, having a weighted blanket is like having, um, like sleeping in a warm hug. That's, I, one, of the, that's I, one of the best sales pitches I'm, ever. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling ill. That's the best sales pitch ever. Have sleeping, a weighted blanket. It's like sleeping in a warm hug. I'm going to be real honest. I don't like, I don't like things on me when I, when I'm sleeping, don't hug me. Yes. I need my space. There you go. I got a king size bed. I, I love a king size bed. It's like having your own zip code. Yeah. You know, um, I we, move around. We're, we're, we're the kind of people that it's like, we've got the DMZ in between Andrea and I on the, on exactly. The bed. It's like you do not cross the border. There's a border wall there. Let's see, there much. you go. Yeah. Well, we have one of those foam toppers. Yeah, but you're not going to like this because so we have we have two um two canines that patrol the DMZ. They don't I, allow. I, I saw that. In marriage the bed is undefiled. That means there's no children in it. I agree. And with that. no dogs. Well, we have two dogs. Oh, gosh. And they're there. Oh. They 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 patrol the DMZ. So, we have one of these mattress topper things. Yeah, we got one of those. They're like 4 inches thick or whatever. Okay, we have a sleep number bed. Oh man. And the topper. Okay, so I go to if I go to roll over, it's like I got to go uphill until the body heat kind of makes that thing go down. It's I feel like a, yeah, I feel like I'm gonna roll off the side of the hill. I hate that thing. Okay, so if anybody has listened to this point at 50 minutes, then they they get like a if you're listening to this and you ever get this, to this point, they get a special award, the bonus track. Yeah, because we've just we're not answering questions anymore. We're probably causing more questions. Yeah. Lifestyles of the pastoral pastor people dangerous we could have our own reality show it would it would only be up for like half a season i don't think so hmm. they everybody every week people would be watching at your house and then we're going to go to the pastor's house and there'd be something new being born <laughs> we just had five hamsters if you want a hamster i got hamsters what what do you do with five hamsters we're giving them away man if those things end up in the wrong cage you got a problem well you know what uh they do multiply quickly so man, we had told our kids cause we ended up with a male and a female hamster and they're in separate cages. And we told the kids that they are never allowed to be together. And the kids assumed that we were saying, I don't know how they came to this conclusion that the hamsters might fight. That was not my concern. My concern was not that the hamsters would fight. Wah, 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 wah. So wah, 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 wah. We, we, we come to find out that the, the hamsters were hanging out together and the girls were very happy because they didn't fight. Uh, Max, the boy, was just massaging the girl hamster. And then two weeks later, we got five hamsters. I'm just saying, years. been married 31 years. Massages. They lead to something else. Dangerous. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that's it. I guess next week, maybe we'll have more questions. If we haven't perjured ourselves with these. Yeah. It's, oh, it's, this it's, is definitely going to earn us time in purgatory. There's no purgatory, by the way. Yeah. Okay. No, there isn't. Nope. But you know McDonald's, what they do with the leftover burgers at night? They don't put them in the trash. You know where they go? Oh. Burger Tory. Ah! All right. All right. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.